live from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to another edition of The Other Kind Radio, Talk Radio. For this October 8th, 2019, this is episode 66. For those of you uh, keeping track, we are recording, I think for the first time in the evening. So we have all kinds of elements to deal with on today's uh, from a logistics point of view, I think I'm hearing somebody mowing their lawn right now in the background. So, um, bear with us. <laughs> of course, I think I'll hear it. You, the kind listener might not. Uh, so just, uh, might hear some banging or some yelling. Everybody's here at home and having a great time. And that is, that is a lawnmower. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, the, so welcome to the show. Uh, the Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast that takes pop culture, puts it in a bright blue transparent box, and l- delivers it to your auditory system. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on in just a second. Returning kind listeners are uh, welcome back. We hope you uh, have had a good week, and uh, we appreciate you uh, spending some time here letting us uh, entertain you. Uh, as always, we encourage, encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe, the show. Uh, by doing so, you're help feeding the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show and its gravitational pull. I have no excuse for having any kind of tongue tiedness. It is, uh, it is uh, well after five o'clock in the evening. I've been talking all day. Anyway, no. <laughs> on this week's show, we have a few headlines to talk about. Uh, Todd and I have been extremely busy, so we're going to uh, uh, try to get through this. Today's episode is uh going to be mainly focused on the new movie Joker. Uh I don't know if we'll have spoiler in the title or not. Uh it, it kind of fits the the comic uh book. So if you've read it, you kind of know what's happening, but we'll see what's going on with that. Let me go ahead and bring on my what I'm calling now my podcast partner. Uh he is a family generator, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar boombox founder and all-around renaissance man, live from his studio somewhere near but not in or specifically located around the town of Dallas. I think I said that backwards. Please welcome Todd. 5 4 It's on. Yes. Yes. Oh, hey kids. Now here you. Yes. Hey Jeff. How are you? <laughs> I uh I have a lawnmower happening right now. This is good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Hey Todd, how's your week going? Yeah, uh, week's kind of crazy, and you know this is odd being with you in the afternoon. I do yeah. believe. I think the only time we might have kind of done something like this is when I came up to Omaha, and I don't believe we did it correct. A in the morning. I think we were kind of er mid morning, weren't we? Yeah, we were mid morning. So. If you live in Omaha, what are you? You know, you, here I live in Allen, a suburb of Dallas. I'm an Allenite. Are you Omahanian? Yeah. Omaha. Now, so you're going to have me like seeing, and then I'm not going to be able to say it. Omahaian? What language is that? Jeff ceases to be able to speak English. Omahaian? Omahaian. You can't mess with me, mister. I'm a home Omahan. Omahan. Omahaes? I don't know. What is a what is a group of geese called? A ga- a gaggle. We're we're 
were a gaggle of almost, I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's a good question. I will find out and get back to the kind listener. Okay, we're back after a, we had a little pause situation there. Uh, want to thank our first sponsor of the podcast. Brought to This episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you by... Which is all I hear right now. So if I'm a little bit out of pace, I step. That's why. That's the only reason why. Why, why are you hearing that? Because uh, it's time to mow the lawn. Now, oh, is that, so, is that your lawnmower sound? So it's two. Yes, that was. It could be a number of things. It could be a razor, could be a vibrator. But let's not go down that road. Wow. And I'm, <laughs> I'm. This feeling- was a family show. But hey, welcome <laughs> in the blue collar and all the different kinds of people that love it when Jeff goes down that path. I meant to say massager. I'm sorry. It's a massager. Let's go ahead and get out the aggressive uh, typewriter here. Let's get in some headlines. And I apologize to the. Um, Kind listeners here, we are going to be kind of beating a dead horse here, but I did think it very worth mentioning that we've got some people, again, still making um, claims about what cinema is and what film is. The first headline comes from The Verge, theverge.com, where you go to get all of your Verge stuff. Um, Netflix is the Irishman heading to Broadway after major theaters refused to screen it. Now, why would theaters refuse to screen or show this movie that's being called the next Gandhi or whatever? Um, the reason being is Netflix is telling them, yeah, we'll, we'll have a few nights where we show it in your film, but you know, about six or seven nights afterwards, we're going to go ahead and release it on our streaming platform, which I'm guessing is making the theater owners upset because that's hurting their pocketbook with what's really happening. Here's Todd. So, (laughs) wow. (laughs) What's really happening is you're seeing the last gasp measures of the, the theater industry, almost like you did with the music industry where they were kind of revolting against, you know, uh, Napster and we'll never go down this path and no one ever wants this kind of thing. People want to hold a tangible art form in their hands, yada, yada, yada. This is once again, if we can't hold exclusivity, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? You're not gonna. Right. More and more, this will occur. More and more filmmakers of this caliber will turn against you because Hey, Netflix is willing to give me anything I want, do whatever I want. I can make the movies I want. Okay, see ya. So it's a silly, silly thing. Um, but this film is also not being put into cinemas to make money. This, right. That's not what Netflix is looking at. They're looking at eligibility for the Oscar race. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't be surprised if it completely gets ignored because Hollywood wants to teach people a lesson and who better to teach a lesson to than probably the preeminent New York filmmaker, therefore not a part of the Hollywood system. And it's a bunch of BS. We don't have to get into it now, but original Cineplexes. Okay, so the Oscars have been around for what? How many years? Oh, good Lord. You know, the funny thing is you skipped over the number 66 of our episodes, oh. but I haven't searched out Oscars yet. Okay. I'll find out when the Oscars debut. We'll get I back to remember. that. I, I will tell you the first best picture was Wings. I can tell you that, but I can't remember how long they've been around. So, yeah, before I, I yeah, damn it, I left 66 out because it wasn't in the in the show flow. Well, my, the reason why I bring that up is when we find out what the first year of the Oscars were, I'm wondering this, if it's really coming down to screen size, what was the screen size in an average theater 
back in 19... That'd be 1929. 1929. You're sitting in a theater, you're watching a film. Is it the same size as theaters today? I'm going to go with no, because that's when screens were made out of baby seals, and there weren't a lot of them back then, so they had to make the screen smaller. That was a joke. It was a terrible joke, but it was a joke. I love baby seals. Um, they're just so reflective. Um, so <laughs> that's why people used to strap two of them in front of car. No, I'm sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> this may be the last show. So my point being getting back on track, if it has to be shown in a big screen on a big screen, I mean, what's the difference? Even the cineplexes back then didn't house the hundreds of people that it could now. So aren't we, aren't we getting down to just some, some, um, what do they call that? Where you just start uh, semantics. Aren't we just coming down to some simple semantics there? To an extent. And, you know, th- there's so many things. In fact, when we get into the main topic today, uh, when we talk about experiences within the movie theaters, I, you know, this, the movie we're going to talk about today had a lot of things going along with it, with it, with people worried about violence in the movie theater. Yeah. And I actually let that affect me. And so you start thinking about the semantics of what you're talking about that, right. you know, what's the experience, what is it and all this, who gives a shit where you see this movie, right. like any movie. Um, I go back to my argument against Mr. Spielberg when he says that, if it's made for TV, it's not a movie yet. I have never seen at least two or three of his movies on the big screen. I've yeah. seen them on TV. Therefore he's made TV movies. Exactly. It's a, it's a stupid argument. So all of this, I don't know. And also I tried to look up just what the size of the average screen was at that time, 1929. So this is the 90th anniversary. So good God, we're going to have a bunch of fanfare with that. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't, I don't have it readily available. I will try to look up that information by the time we're together again. Okay. And just one last note on this before we go to our next headline is um, this film would be shown at Schubert's organization, uh, Belasco Theater in New York City, making it the first movie screening for the 112-year-old institution. Little, little, uh, little film trivia for you there. Very interesting. All right. Our second headline again, we're kind of, we're, again, we're repeating ourselves, but I thought this was, you know, this is another th- something worth mentioning. Um, so recently, uh, and this comes from GameSpot. Ooh, GameSpot's doing movie uh, articles now. Great. Okay. Um, recently, Oscar, this is from their article. Recently, Oscar winning director Martin Scorsese spoke out to criticize superhero movies. He told Empire Magazine that he doesn't watch them because they're not cinema. But, but but what Scorsese is now saying that that you know Marvel and and DC movies aren't film. I mean, I'd understand it if I just understood. I guess I'm just ignorant, just don't understand the argument. Because <laughs> what I read about, it, yeah, I went and read some of that this morning too, and you know, of course, Samuel L. Jackson, who has been in a Scorsese film, uh, stood up to him politely and and with a jovial sense of uh, humor to confront one of the master filmmakers. But what Scorsese said was the way he looks at cinema, cinema is a series of characters and scenes and situations to where we, the the characters can discuss and confront the human condition. Uh However, I take exception with that because I think that sometimes that these films can raise to the level of art. I, I still go back to saying that the dark Knight, which is very much, even though it's a very realistic take on the character of Batman is a very good crime film. Yeah. That's what makes it a good movie. 
instead of just actually it makes it a great movie instead of just a good comic book movie is right. that it elevates it treats its its information and what it has to say with reverence to the point that at the end you know it, it's talking about the precipice where we're, we're all on the brink of insanity and what pushes some to good and what pushes others to evil well that's a pretty deep conversation yeah and i don't think scorsese would turn away from that in any of this film so I told you in the pre-pro and I'll say this to the kind listener. I believe that those comments, you know, Scorsese is amongst those that I absolutely love. And I, when I read it, I, I have to believe those comments were taken to an extent out of context. Um, I think, I think the question had to have been something more like, do you enjoy them? Would you ever make one? And then he would come and goes, yeah, it's not really cinema to me. It's, you know, I, 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 I look at cinema as this and this and this, not that and that and that. And it, you want to talk about a battle of semantics here. I mean, it really is because yeah. his films are exaggerated truth at times to the point where the, the violence is so over the top and then has a pounding rock soundtrack that that's not reality either. It's right. It's trivance. So, uh, and whatever, again, kind of, kind of beating up a, a, a horse that we've, we've, uh, we've hung out with a couple of times, but I, I was shocked enough that I thought it would be uh, worth bringing to the kind listener. So, we're sorry, Mr. Ed. We'll go ahead. Oh, horse is a horse. We'll go ahead and uh, take the over-aggressive typewriter, which the volume was down, so it wasn't very aggressive. So making sure it's aggressive now. Um, we'll go ahead and put that away. And then as my podcast partner so well put it a few minutes ago, we skipped right over. I skipped right over the episode 66, the, the significance of the number 66. So with that, back to you, Todd. What do we got? In celebration of us recording for the 66th time, the number 66, I'm going to run through a few things. In computing, 66 megahertz is a common divisor for the front side bus speed, overall central processing speed, and base bus speed. In motor vehicle transportation, it became absolutely famous as Route 66. Oh, yeah. In religion, the total number of chapters in the book of Isaiah is 66. In sports, the number of laps... In the Grand, Spanish Grand Prix, 66. In the movie Star Wars, Order 66 is prepared for the clone troopers to kill the Jedi and also the death of the Star Wars saga in general. Uh, and in video games, in the video game Full Metal Alchemist, <laughs> Barry the Chopper is imprisoned in cell number 66. There you go. And last but not least, I was born in 1966. Oh, so that's well, happy, the biggest of them all. Happy birthday. Oh, and if you want to call Thailand... You're an international direct dialing 66. 66. I think Star Wars, thank you very much. That, that deserves some applause there. Um, where are the kids? The kids usually come by. There they go. Okay. Kids are excited too. I think Star Wars missed an opportunity there. I think they missed it. Shouldn't have been Order 66. It should have been Order 86. As in, let's 86 these Jedi. But yeah, you know, <laughs> even with that being funny, Jeff, and that was funny, <laughs> you at some point, you're going to have to just allow me. We need a whole episode where I can go through and destroy those prequels because they are awful. Oh, yeah, they are. They're horrible. They are pretty bad. In fact, I, I was talking to Luke, who's going to be featured on the other kind of this episode of the other kind of radio, because we also, as I failed so well as a producer to put in the beginning of the show. We're also going to have um, some some live. We did a remote where we went to uh, Undisclosed Burger King here in Omaha and tried the Impossible Burger. And I have that audio as horrible as it is. Um, I do have that audio. 
Um, but Luke, I'm trying to get Luke excited about going to the next Star Wars movie, which is in December. And he's not <laughs> having it. And he's like, didn't they make like 8,000 of those movies? And I'm like, yeah, they did. You know what? And the when they started making them again, they were awful. I'll never make you watch those. So there you go. Man, how bad is that? How old is Luke now? So he just, he'll be turning 12 in uh, about a month. So how bad is that, that the target demographic for a series of films is completely uninterested in what they're doing? Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's at the point now where he's like, I'll go if you want me to, but I could care less. And I'm like, oh, boy. yeah. Okay. But then again, he's also 12 years old is that age where they become, yeah, well, hey, man, yeah, hey. whatever. I, I kind of understand what's going on. Too now. cool for school. Yeah. It doesn't end until they're about 20. So enjoy and that. Since I've ruined this whole podcast for this episode already. You're when, fired. When do you, <laughs> when do you want to me to play that audio? Do you want to get into center stage and talk about Joker and then get into it? Or do you want no, me to let's enjoy Luke now? I need, I mean, okay. cause Joker look, and, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to have a hard time not hitting spoilers about this film. So I think we should put spoiler in Copy. the title. Um, and since it's such a heavy film, it Let's really enjoy is. Luke right now because okay. I have a feeling this is going to be a blast. All right. So let me get this queued up here um, for the kind of listener. Uh, you are listening to the other kind radio. This is a uh, re recorded uh, at a Burger King on my Roland uh, digital recorder. And um, just as I've so eloquently, eloquently um, shown God, on this podcast um, that I can't produce or tell you what the kind listener is going to hear. Um, first of all, I think my voice sounds horrible in this, but that's just me and you can judge for yourself. But we went to a Burger King. We recorded this a lot of Nat sound. I did edit it down for time, but here is the reveal. Oh, and, and I should say too, Luke, uh, in, in the family is the hamburger connoisseur. He loves hamburgers. And I, so I always whip him down whenever we go. I'm like, how's this burger? You know? And, and I'm like, is this burger better than this other places burger? And he always is like, can't they both be good? So he's, he's a good guy with, with a good heart, but here he is. He and I burger King impossible burger. Here we go. Hi, my name is Luke. Okay. That's the wrong clip. I knew I was going to screw it up. Here we go. All right. Uh, hey, it's Jeff with The Other Kind Radio. We are at Burger King. The fries are done, as you can hear in the background. And uh, I'm joined today uh, by Luke. Luke, say hello to the kind listener. Hi. We, uh, Like I said, we are at Burger King in an undisclosed location here in Omaha, Nebraska. Our mission today that we have accepted is to try the new Impossible Burger. We have paid for it. We have sat down. We've got drink. Luke is having a Dr. Pepper. I am having a Mellow Yellow. There's a woman here that is being really loud, so you may hear her. Um, we got a combo meal and a large drink, and it was $12.80. And we're waiting for it to come up right now. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We've received our Whopper. Aaliyah at the counter was very nice. Um, I'm going to hand the mic over to Luke now, who is going to describe the unwrapping of the Impossible Burger. So here you go, Luke. Take it from my hand. There you go. Kind of talk into it. Hi. Well, tell me about the packaging. Um, it's green with white stripes. It says Impossible Whopper on it. With? With cheese. Hey, give it a smell. 
Does the, it smell like a Whopper? Yeah, it does smell. That's a terrible question. But, um, the patty looks different, but it smells like a Whopper. So. All right, we're cutting it in half right now. All right, Luke, go ahead and take take your half, whichever one you want. There's no funny business. The kind listener doesn't think that we're making anything up. I got you. Just pull a little bit. There we go. All right. Here's the first bite of the Impossible Burger right here on the Other Kind Radio. I have to apologize for any chewing well, of all, or eating they put noise. Everything on here. They put cheese. They put lettuce. They put mayonnaise. You need a napkin. Let's pause for a napkin. All right. We've got napkins now. Um... So they have all of the fixings that the regular Whopper has on it. So the initial bite for me was pretty much like a regular Whopper. But then Luke, tell us, tell us what happened after you chewed for a while. Um, it, it started to get really chewy. And um, it, then the patty tasted like really smoked. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely taste it. It's not a hamburger. It doesn't taste. I mean, it's not like bad. bad but- yeah, you are the resident hamburger expert. Have you eaten a worse burger? Yes, I have. On a scale from one to ten, ten being the best burger ever. What are your What is your initial rating of of the Impossible Burger at Burger King? If you take your time and chew a lot, you know it tastes different. But then if you just chew a lot and then. Just think of it as a regular Whopper. It kind of tastes like my rating is a four. Oh, okay. There you have it, folks. However, we're back here on the other kind of radio. It's Jeff, and I'm here with... Luke. Luke. Luke just made a very good point about his impression after we had a chance to kind of munch down and, and let it digest a little bit about the Impossible Burger from Burger King. And Luke, what did you just tell me? That most of the veggie burgers taste like nothing like the real burger, but this one actually tastes like like mostly like the uh, regular waffle. There you go. I mean, it's it's he still gave it a four, but it at least tastes more like a burger than other veggie burgers. All right. So any any final comments on the Impossible Burger from Burger King? Um, Do you think people should try it? Yeah. Yeah. They should probably try it. Um, they could just see what it tastes like or something. Luke, we're going to have you uh, do a sounder. And what I need you to say is, uh, I need you to say, hi, my name is, and you're listening to The Other Kind Radio. Can you say that for me? Hi, my name is Luke, and you're listening to The Other Kind Radio. All right. Making his radio debut. There's Luke. Oh, the kids like him too. Giving the report of the uh, of the Impossible Burger currently available at Burger King's nationwide. Have you had one, Todd? I haven't. Uh, I was just saying to my wife last night, we were talking about it, and I said that you had taken Luke out to do this, and I was really intrigued by it. You know, the... I, I found a lot of the the weird propaganda that goes along with that burger where people were like, hey, it's not that much better for you. They inject a lot of oils yeah. and things in it to get the fat. And if you really read about it, I don't believe that their thing was to make it healthy as much as it was to get us off of beef, which apparently is very bad for the environment. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I just got an email from the uh, 
the uh, news story packaging uh, commission, I guess there's such a thing, and they rated my overall ability to put together a. There goes the mower again. Uh, they rated this story uh, a negative sixty-seven. So, um, but thank well, you, to Luke. You're one above the order sixty-six, so you won't be dead with the Jedi. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. Big thank you, to Luke, uh, for participating. He hasn't even heard it yet. Um, and then we got the lovely sounder, which of course I played first. Which was hi, my name is Luke, and you're listening to the other kind radio. So our first sounder there, we'll, we'll try all those famous people that we keep inviting on the show. I want to get those from them. I know other radio stations do that, but it's always kind of a giggle for me. Yes, sir. May I, may I ask you a question? Yes. Could you do me a favor? Oh, this gets into the quid pro quo type stuff. And today that's not a very good idea, but um, could you go to Luke and yeah. ask him if he'd like to host a podcast with me because he's a natural. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then whatever happened to Jeff? Oh, we, we he, he you know he runs the board and he still screws that up. But he'd be a good podcast. But it was that was fun to do. Hope you enjoyed it. Okay, let's move to center stage. I saw this movie uh, just a few days ago. Todd saw it just a few days ago. Um, there's a lot of there's obviously a lot of. Um, um, pop culture around this film. There's a lot of uh, uh, safety concerns around this film. We're, of course, talking about um, the movie Joker that just came out. I know Todd has the tail of the tape in front of him, so he can tell us all the pertinent facts. So I'll turn it over to him now. Todd, take it away. Joker is the Warner Brothers film directed by Todd Phillips, written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. that tells the following story in Gotham City. Mentally troubled comedian Arthur Fleck embarks on a downward, downward spiral of social revolution and bloody crime. The path brings him face to face with his infamous alter ego, the Joker. So I'll tell you a little bit about uh, my experience um, when I arrived at the movie theater. Uh, it was a morning showing um, and there were four police officers in the lobby. And then when I walked to the theater... Uh, there was one station outside of the door where the theater or where the movie was being shown. So from the get go, um, it was, I guess, a, a little bit threw me off base a little bit so much that I, I think I forgot to get nachos and, and soda, which is amazing. So I was unfueled for this film. Um, was the same thing apparent in Dallas? Did they have officers there? Not a bit. Um, I was a little surprised by that. I saw it on a Sunday morning. Um, I walked in weary because I have, I had dive bar boom boxed it times two the, the day before playing back to back gigs. So I was tired, beat down. My voice was hoarse. My fingertips were just screaming on fire from playing guitar all day. And I thought, okay, at least I'll be protected. There's no one there. <laughs> Interesting. It does show you a little bit of the difference between Omaha and Dallas. Um, as usual, and we can touch base on this real quick, there was, I think I counted, there were eight previews um, before this film. They were very long. Um, and I just have to continue our comments on the fact that they're showing too much of the film. One of the previews I saw was for Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining, one of uh, Stanley Kubrick's masterpieces. Uh, and again... I remember the original Shining coming out and some of the previews just being the elevator opening with blood coming out. And no, they went full-fledged, let's just pretty much show them the movie with this preview. 
You know, I, I did not count how many previews, but I will say that after about four, I thought, dear God, right? please get to the movie. Because the problem is, is trailers are getting longer yes. and longer. And I, I actually read the book for Dr. Sleep. And so I found when I saw that preview, I thought, okay, well, look, they're actually staying pretty consistent with the book in this way and this way. And the guy right. who made that, you know, it's, I think it's going to be a good film. I don't want to knock it. Um, but... I find myself almost not ready to see the movie yeah. because, you know, I, 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 every time I go, I, I get a diet Coke and I get popcorn. And whenever I'm halfway through with my popcorn, when the trailers are over, that kind of pisses me off because I buy popcorn <laughs> right. to eat it with the movie. And I, I, I'm usually more disciplined, but that day, like I said, I was beat down and yeah. worn out and hungry. And how were the, how were the people around you? Were they, were they quiet? Were they noisy? Were you able to focus in? Well, see, that gets into a little bit, and, and I'm going to lead us into another oh, part okay. of the conversation okay, sure. with, with, with that. Uh, it kind of alludes back to something I said earlier. So by and large, the people around me were pretty good. It was uh, maybe, it's a Sunday morning, so maybe a quarter of it was full, a third of it, something like that. Right. And by and large, everybody was pretty cool. Right when it first started, the dude down there starts getting his little gummy worms out. <laughs> this package <laughs> somebody's got to make a packaging that is not so loud but then that was when i started getting paranoid right away because and this is unfair i don't want to profile somebody but i see a kind of dumpy nerdy and i, I believe and this stuff really did only relevance to why i would think this but i think he was an asian guy and he just he looked like he was beaten down by life and i thought oh crap right here comes the dude that's carrying a gun and he sits literally right behind me oh and all I could think was, God, he's going to get upset by the joker. He's going to kill me. And whether that be the conversation that goes out and you start worrying about that. And I am one of those kind of people that I will not allow myself to be afraid of those kind of things. But it did creep into my mind because sure. I thought it's not worth it to get killed to see a movie. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's unfair. I mean, he didn't he didn't have any problems. He didn't hurt anybody. But overall, the audience is fine. It's although difficult not to. I mean, I know when I was watching it, um, anytime somebody got up and left or walked back in, mm -hmm. it caught my eye. And I think what you feel um, is probably what a lot of people are feeling and, and concerned about. So, um, I mean, I've, and the weird thing about me was, you know, I knew there was a cop outside the door, but. Uh, to me, that just, I don't know if that heightened it or, 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 you know, it didn't make me feel more comfortable, but I'm sorry to, sorry to hear that. And, uh, yeah, it's almost like everybody should have, you know, been forced to wear like bright, happy colors. <laughs> or just wear a thong to where we could see if you had a gun on you or not. Or we could do that. <laughs> So I, I don't know much about, I don't know the, uh, I know there's the, the gentleman that you do, uh, your other great podcast with uh, Minute of the Apes that owns a comic book store. I don't know. I've never read it. I don't know. You know, he has such a great mind when it comes to comic books. So I was coming in really not knowing. I knew the backstory of how the Batman was created, mm -hmm. but I didn't know anything about Joker other than him just being kind of, um, Kind of crazy. So what? Let's let's get into the film then. As far as like opening moments, and then we can we can definitely say that the tour de force on this is obviously Joaquin. Uh, from the moment he takes the state, uh, the takes the the screen, it's 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 all him pretty much. Well, yeah this 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 is not a typical comic book film. This is more of a character study that that works itself into becoming a comic, uh, book, comic book film. And to be to be fair. 
I, I will say that I am, I'm nowhere the comic book nerd that, that Richard is owning that, but I will say that Batman is by far my favorite. And if I pan my camera over here, I have a little section on the wall back there full of Batman paraphernalia and things that I've collected. I love it. And the unique thing about Joker is, is Joker does not have a definitive origin story uh-huh. in the comics. He has, and it's one of the reasons the Heath Ledger character in the Dark Knight alludes to, you want to know how I got these scars? He tells a different story every time and it kind of creates the insanity of the character. Right. Um, the Joker, for those of you that are interested, premiered in 1940 in the first issue of Batman. Now, that was not the first, the Batman premiered in Detective Comics, but in the first real issue ever of the comic that was solely dedicated to him. Joker was a supervillain. He was supposed to die, but the editor stepped in and said, uh, you might have something good. Let's not kill him. Right. Uh, there's a lot of fighting over who created him. Bob Kane, who got all the glory originally as the artist who created Batman, he and Jerry Robinson took the credit, but Bill Finger, who is known to be really the key person behind creating Bruce Wayne's backstory, etc., apparently had a big uh, bit in that. But the cool thing was they've never named him. He does not have an official name, uh-huh. not have a definitive backstory. So when you step into this movie, that for me, right away, I'm like, okay, well, this feels kind of like, you know, you'll, you'll buy a comic sometimes that is meant to tell, hey, we're going to tell a story, but everyone knows it's it's not definitive. They're, ne- they're never going to claim that for Joker. So for the, the name Arthur Fleck is not the Joker's name. They came up with this name for this. Mm, okay. Um, but it's, you know, to your point, it is Joaquin Phoenix from the get-go inhabiting a character that, that has echoes of Travis Bickle from uh, Taxi Driver, Scorsese's classic film, mm-hmm. um, Rupert, whatever, uh, that De Niro also plays in King Comedy. Now I can't remember the last name of that character and I don't want to waste time looking it up. But it has elements of that too. It It is a film that wears on its sleeve the influences of 1970s filmmaking. But it's... To me, it's one of the braver comic book films possibly that's ever come out for that very reason because it does not just make it cookie cutter. It's what everything right. Scorsese says they aren't. He's wrong with this film. Yeah, he obviously hasn't seen this because that, in fact, was an area of numbness for me in that I couldn't I couldn't get my head wrapped around whether or not this was a comic book movie or not. Part of it being that some of the subject matter in it as far as how currently the healthcare system handles those that have some uh, mental issues kind of rings true in here. We're also in Gotham um, during a time where there is no trash removal. So the city is uh, kind of being um, held hostage by this inability for the government or the leaders of that, that town to work together and come up with a solution for the common person. Uh, so a lot of it echoed what some would see as happening today in our part of the country. And, and as I mean, don't want to get into that discussion at all, but it was hitting a lot of those notes. And so me being the film idiot, I am, I was wondering if I was projecting that onto the film or if the film was actually intentionally putting that. I guess the similarities were really close in it. However, um, 
you know, again, with my limited uh, aptitude when it comes to film, I did like the way the movie looked. I thought that they did some really cool stuff. And when it comes to a character and writing something, I mean, I definitely was pulled in and, and was into the story. I didn't have many moments where I was, was pulled out of it. But my God, the thought that went into creating the psyche of this character, the Joker, uh, and watching his transformation happen on the screen really got me. And it not only not only was I there watching a film, but at certain parts, the the empathy that I had for this this guy going through this was there. And at certain points in the film, I could identify with maybe what he was going through by my own experiences. But there was always that part where it it separated, where he would react or do something because of the the environment around him that made me go, oh yeah, this guy, this guy's, you know, he's got problems <laughs> and um, he is dangerous. He's a dangerous person. So I, I think one thing Joaquin did very well was he, because he, again, we're talking about a, a slow moving train gathering momentum. He never skipped a beat. Everything was full of intent and purpose. And, and for most, including myself, I, I could see the acceleration from where he starts to the end. I could see it almost getting faster and then just kind of easy for that person to go ahead and just start playing that someone that's, that's obviously lost a lot of their moral compass. But I think that Joaquin does a great job of really pacing that. And I, and that therein lies the beauty of, of the work that he put in this film. I'll shut up now. I think that going back to what you said about it, whether the film intentionally sets out to say something about today, I think without question it it does. Okay. And I think that, you know, to, to almost jump ahead to its argument, I was, I was talking to my father today who, who will never see this movie. He, <laughs> he did not see films like this, but I told him, I said, here's the interesting thing about it. You know, he's a psychologist. And so I tapped into the dad. It says something very important and something that needs to be said about mental health. And we need to be talking about how these people are almost we're we make fun of them. We look and oh, go away. But you know, when those people are ignored and pushed aside, their 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 lost sense of reality becomes associated with anger, which associates with other things. And I said, now here's the interesting thing. I said, we we can look at the gun uh, control conversation. I said, I can see how somebody who wants to protect gun rights will come and go see it's the person it's not the gun but i can also see the other person going let me ask you a question okay here's your idea and it's the person not the gun do you want that person to have an ak-47 i don't and you can look and go oh maybe it's both of these maybe it's guns and mental health and yep. I, th I think that when you present it like that where you start are able to fill and say well it's his fault yes it is but if he had that it would be 10 times worse that's an interesting conversation. So I think that the film a hundred percent walks into it and tries to set out with that conversation in mind. That's, that's, that's a very good point. Um, and I think we're, I think we're slowly edging towards us having the same opinion of, you know, what this, this film did for us. Um, again, um, I think that, uh, it spent a lot of time, um, focusing on building this character up and, and, um, at times, 
Um, I mean, it's a hell of a backstory. I think one of the things I had, um, I just, I don't know. I, in, in most superhero films, and I know this isn't really one, but I mean, there, I would think there would have been a little more interaction, um, with maybe some, some events that, that cause, um, I don't know, just, a, just a little break from the backstory. Cause we spend the majority of our time in the perspective, uh, from the Joker, I guess at times I was kind of wanting to jump to maybe to a different character and take a little bit of a break. I think if you did that, this film falls apart. Yeah. I think that to have a slow descent into hell, because, you know, I, I think you, you touched on something that I actually find to be deeply fascinating with this film is that it does ask you to be sympathetic with somebody who becomes a horrific person. Um, there are no excusing his actions. There's no excusing what it does to the people around him, et cetera. Yet we understand. And I think that can, right. I think that understanding how something can occur helps us to figure out how to lessen the occurrence that it might occur, you know, the, the chances it might occur. And I think that it does a, a pretty, I, I don't have this kind of psychosis, but it does a pretty good job of, creating what the mind that is riddled with this must be like, where it's you're constantly questioning, why are you doing this to me? Why is the world like this? Then you're also forging relationships with other people that may not be all they seem to right. you, you that you think they are. Yeah. And I think that it's a fascinating dive into that. And then when it starts stepping into things like, you know, uh, Arthur Fleck does get to meet Thomas Wayne, who's Bruce Wayne's father, and what's interesting is if you read the comic books, Thomas Wayne is mostly portrayed as a very noble, caring, kind person. Ah. He is a very good person. In this film, it is the flip side. He is not a good person. He's awful. And I was telling my wife, who wants to see it, and I don't want to spoil it for him. I said, as a Batman fan, it was kind of weird. You know, I'm watching Thomas Wayne be a jerk. And she said, well, think about Wicked, which is, you know, there was a the, Wicked is the book that they basically said, let's tell the flip side of the Wicked of the uh, Wizard of Oz. And let's the Wicked Witch wasn't so evil. She's just misunderstood. Right. And it's a very interesting dynamic when you can take the bad person, make them something other. And then when you do this and take the noble person and realize that in his perspective, he wasn't kind and he wasn't caring and that's the way he's portrayed. So I think Jeff, if you step away from that character, you can't do what they did with somebody like Thomas Wayne. One of the things they attack first off is Joker's ability to, uh, his perception of reality is very often skewed. So an, an interesting way of looking at that scene and the, the particular scene takes place in a men's restroom, um, is maybe Wayne, was a really nice person but because the joker's having you know all these problems being able to separate reality from from fantasy maybe he's projecting that onto him yeah. um but 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 at the same breath a fun thing to play with because yeah he could have been a total jerk um and you know only a few people got to see that side of of wayne um the the constant uh, reminder of the you know 1% versus the 99% uh, is very clear in this and in, in, in what um, towards the end of the film, what builds and, and shows how the Joker gets his, his gang is very apparent. Um, getting back to, to kind of just some of the things that I noticed that Joaquin did, obviously he lost a ton of weight for this film. 
He looks, I just want him to put a shirt on just because he is so bony. If he's got a bone, you can see it. Ayo. And Goodness. Um, that, you know, just so not only did he lose that weight, but the physicalness of his character. And one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on was in the movie, it's depicted that he has, he suffers from a disorder in which he cannot cry when he is shocked or saddened. He laughs. Don't know the validity of that kind of condition. Um, but there's something I can tell Joaquin put a lot of work into and really crafted this particular thing to do because there are scenes where he is laughing, but his eyes are registering something a hundred percent different and there are tears coming out. And I think just, just, I mean, just for the common layperson like myself to try and laugh and cry at the same time is, you know, like walking and chewing bubble gum. So, uh, you know, impressed with his, his physical press presence and then his work he put into the, the character. I thought that, um, I thought that what he and director Todd Phillips were able to do to understand a character of the silk, you know, was at times astonishing that they were taking the time to show me his pains and his hurts that I could associate to myself that I could, you know, I could look and say, I've had those too, but then to show me, man, he, now he jumps off a cliff that I would never jump off of. And I think right. to your point, I think that's kind of what it was. There was this duality of the character where he's trying to show the world that he's okay, but it's always the, the cliff is so tenuously there. And I think that your, your point to the, uh, the laughter, I asked my father about it and you can ask your dad, who's a psychologist sure. also, but you know, dad, dad never really got around to answering it, but kind of what he alluded to, at least my understanding was, you know, whether those conditions be real or not to that person, they're incredibly real. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that idea that if he's developed that, that I can't cry, I laugh could be a defense mechanism, et cetera. But it becomes this in just vastly amazingly creative way of how do you explain a character that in a comic book, right? A comic book that has superheroes that can fly around and a guy that dresses a bat, but how do you explain a character who laughs in the face of everything, who puts on makeup over his face? You start his defense mechanism is this, and it is a maniacally terrifying laugh. It is. And, and yet another area where it would be easy to, I mean, because you see a full range of this 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 condition that he has. So you see it where he's horrified and it's really, like you said, haunting and loud and uh, laugh. But even when it's in a lesser moment or something that that upsets him, um, you know, a little less, it doesn't have such a big effect. That same laugh is dialed down. And again, I think it'd be very easy to go from 60 to 100 very easy and just skip all that where I'm seeing Joaquin worked on every different uh, variation of this in, in, in whatever reaction. So just like we, we laugh differently for, for things that catch us funny. He had an answer for every different situation where he had that reaction. Um, before we get into Oscar talk for, for Joaquin, other areas that I think that should be recognized as far as, um, you know, definitely, deserved of looking at for this film lighting I thought was fantastic. And I thought costume design, just the overall set, this kind of, you're not ever, ever able to really determine what time period they're in. I mean, there are elements. Yeah. That, what's that? 
I said, yeah, I mean, that that's a yeah. great point because there are times where you're like, okay, he's got a VCR, but then you see something like, well, that kind of looks like something they would have now. And it, right. it really does kind of wear on its sleeve that they can't decide whether the 70s, 80s are current. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of stuff in here that, to your point, that, that if if award shows are correct correctly done, this deserves some attention. Um, I think that Zazie Beats, who plays his love interest, yes. is... She is fabulous and she gets a key scene that, you know, requires her to understand the depths of what's gone on in the story before, but yet not betray it to her character or what it is. And it's her delivery of that, you know, and, and she's currently on the uh, Danny Glover show Atlanta. She was in Deadpool 2. She is a great actress that every time she's there, I get a little excited because she's one of those people that has a very sweet, adorable face, but you can see there's so much going on beneath the eyeballs that she's, she's really an exciting actress to watch. I think that Frances Conroy, who plays his mother, uh, is great. Yeah. Um, the one that, the one thing I was shocked about and a little disappointed, Mark Marin is barely in this movie as De Niro's character's manager. He's just, it's like blink and you miss him. I was, I was okay with that. I, I, that, that was a moment when he walked on screen. I was like, really? I mean, you oh, know, I love Mark Marin though. I do too. But I, I just think that if you're not going to, if you're going to get somebody like that and not develop a character around him and just have him say five or six lines to me, I'm just like, well then, then he's just, you know, it's just, Oh, Hey, Mark Marin's in this movie. Yeah, but you know what that means is I guarantee you, since Mark Marin, who is hot, huge off of his podcast, yeah, hot off of Glow, means that they shot probably about twenty minutes more scenes and cut every one of them except for this. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right, you're right. I, I know, I, I'm right. but that's just but that's off. but that's just my gut feeling too. I I wasn't excited to see him. I even thought that the um the part that uh, De Niro played could have been could have been handed off or done or handled differently as well i mean obviously it's robert De Niro, and, and he's an icon and you know a fantastic actor but i i think that could have been uh, executed or or even played by somebody else just just little things that popped into my head not that it was a bad performance again it was just like eh. yeah but see I, I totally disagree with you there i think that that was a, a brilliant stroke of casting because not only did this this film wear it on its sleeve that it did is basically here's Travis Bickle from taxi driver who was De Niro, but also, uh, and I'm going to look it oh. up now. Um, he was also in King of comedy, which are you familiar with that movie at all? No, that is a De Niro film that Scorsese directed. And here, I'll read this to you. Rupert, Rupert Pupkin is a passionate yet unsuccessful comic who craves nothing more than being in the spotlight. And to achieve this, he stalks and kidnaps his idol to take the spotlight for himself. Well, his idol is Jerry Lewis, who plays a very Johnny Carson type person. So they basically taken Nero and said, we're going to do King comedy, except now you're Jerry Lewis. So it was, that's incredibly intentional. And okay. I, I, I kind of totally get why they did it. Right. Right. And obviously me not having that information or knowing that, I guess I can kind of see the taxi driver, uh, relation, but I obviously, yeah, that's a, that's a, a wink and a smile, a tip of the cap to, to what he's done in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, it, in most parts was pretty much flawless for me in a lot of things that it did, especially the music that went along and, and, and I was in, Again, not being a Joker fan or necessarily a Batman fan, when he dons his his outfit to go and be on the show, 
I was super pumped about that. I was really excited to see him. Now, of course, we it's this guy's this maniac that is, you know, doing all these horrible things. But I fell prey to what the filmmaker's intention was, which was he looks totally badass. <laughs> you know, there's gonna be a ton of jokers running around uh for Halloween this year, and I can I can see why. When put together in the classy way that it was, and not just trying to just be a ripoff or something that was you know, literally torn from the pages of a comic book. It it was it was very very well put together, and was it was one of my exciting moments of the film was when he he finally gets all dressed up. You know, you have the lawnmower. I've got the barking dog. So sorry about that. I'm sorry. sorry you can... um, I thought it was our dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's mine going nuts downstairs. Um, I I I walked into this. I suddenly the night before when I decided, you know, at the end of playing gigs all day, I was like, I just, the girls are not going to be home tomorrow. I'm going to go to the movies by myself. And right. I went right at that point and went, and I'm lowering my expectations because I'm going to walk in and hate it. Right. And I will be honest that when the movie was over, I didn't go, I love this movie. I was like, I don't know if I can ever watch this movie again. That right. was it's so hard. It's so dark. But I never expected what came next. And that's that there are those select few films that rock your thought processes so much that you continue to think about it days later. I'm still having images of moments flip past. And, you know, you mentioned the the music things that was near flaws. The only moment that I really point out where I'm like, I don't like that moment is when the the moment when he's dancing down the stairs in his outfit. Mm -hmm the ba da 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 hey yeah da, da, da. i don't like that that music choice i was like that's just too obvious and it was i overused I, song in any sports arena across the nation nation yeah and it just it felt out of place in that moment uh, you know i thought i don't know that that but i'm being incredibly nitpicky i think that this film ask you to think when you don't expect to. I think it asks you to be empathetic when you don't want to be. Yeah. You know, all the things that it asks of you are shocking, especially when you consider this director is the guy that made The Hangover. This guy, you know, made countless bro comedy films. Um, God, I mean, old school, Hangover, Due Date. Wow. Not a deep thinking filmmaker. Now, he's produced A Star is Born, but that's more association of people he knows, you know. Right. I, I was floored by that. I don't, I did not expect him to have this depth right. to portray things that there, there are a couple of, and look, I'm going to, here, here's a spoiler. The Joker does kill people, but yeah. Yeah. when there are some deaths in this that were just like ha- handled. So matter of factly mm-hmm. that it was, it was even worse than you know, the, the final bits of violence, which almost the film is a, a long series of building things that builds the dread for, you know, what's going to happen by the end of it. Right. It's the stuff to me that happens before where it becomes almost, I, I it was uneasy for me to watch and I'm pretty accustomed to watching stuff like that. I, and, and yeah, as we move into kind of final thoughts, it, you're absolutely right. It, it did stick with me. It wasn't a movie that I walked out. I was, I walked out more shocked and, and just, trying to 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 process certain things that I had I had seen there was a couple times that did close my eyes they got me that first time but then I'm like you know what I'm not gonna watch this because I know what's gonna happen uh so as a almost 47 year old man yes I still close my eyes at the theater um an interesting thing worth bringing up is um 
you know, I didn't stick around in the credits. I didn't know if they were going to have some kind of hidden scene or whatever. I, I'm, I'm ready to go by then. So I get up and the people in front of me are a bunch of young, younger, 20-ish, maybe late 20s kind of crowd. And they all hated it. They were like, this was a complete waste of time. This is the stupidest movie I've seen in, you know, forever and everything. And the funny thing is, is until I met you and we did the hundred films of the AFI, I think I would have quickly fallen into that group. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And if it didn't hit the notes that they, that they wanted, I get it. But I also see why, because this did not feel like a comic book movie. If, if you watch dark Knight and then you watch this, one of them is a comic book movie and, and another one is more than that. And I think they played on that. And that was kind of the, maybe the, the nod and the wink to the, to the audience member from the, from the, from the director and the writer saying, Hey, we know you keep waiting for this kind of catch all moment. That's going to classify this film as just your standard superhero villain movie. But that never really happens. And I think at the end of the day, when I, just like you, had moments flipping through my head, I began to find a little peace and a little enjoyment with that film, where what I had witnessed before, just so many hours before, really bothered me, (laughs) you know, in what you see. Not bothered as, you know, as like super emotional or anything like that. But I mean, it was some, there were some things that I saw that I wish I could unsee, um, but I do think it takes it takes time to digest. And I do want to point out real quick before you give us your, your final thoughts is I do think your prediction of this film being looked again at in a year or two and a different impression of it being received and maybe some more accolades. Now it's crushing it at the box office may be received because I do think you do have to go in with a certain amount of film knowledge and or appreciation and willingness to kind of step out of your comfort zone to appreciate all of the hard work and the great job from all the actors in this film uh, that makes this, this film memorable and, and, you know, kudos and and worth seeing for sure. I do think that this film I, I will be shocked if they don't have a massive drop off at the box office next week. And I think it's for the reason that you just <laughs> said, which are the 20 year old. And I'm going to be unfair to any kind of listeners, but I'm going I'm, I'm so to, I'm going to be fair, man. I'm, I'm a person I'm gonna, too. I'm going to say it towards those that you said the, the ding dong 20 year olds, right. because did you not watch any of the advertising for this film? Right. This film did not say, Hey, Batman, cow, poo, bow, bang. <laughs> it didn't say that. It said, deep depressing film about a dude with mental illness who dresses up like a clown and probably gets a little crazy. This was at that point it's on you, right. you know, go watch Rambo. It got a 27% approval on rotten tomatoes. And that's probably more your speed. Right. Which by the way, this is currently with about 24,000 votes on rotten tomatoes of the audience sitting at 90%. So that's a Ooh, that's good. good rating for audience scores. Um, I don't think that, you know, I, I want to say that the kind of, I don't think you have to have that knowledge of seventies filmmaking. I even saw some people allude to the great, um, uh, film network, which has a lot to say. If you go watch network today, you'll sit there and go, Oh my God, somebody had a prescient idea about, uh, the future of media consumption in America. I didn't see, I sure there's a couple of moments with some TV screens and stuff. I think that's a stretch, but right. I think that the things like taxi driver and King Kami, which I've already alluded to multiple times are very much a hundred percent there. Um, I, 
I mean, walking away from the film, I find myself now wanting to go to everyone I can and say, please go into this and don't, it, it's not a comic book movie. Get rid. Is the guy going to call himself Joker? Yes. Are you going to meet the Wayne family? Yes. Don't think of it as a comic book. Cause I have friends who won't see him. They're, they're reductionist right. like Scorsese is. This is a great movie yeah. that has something great to say that I think as a society we need to hear right now. So I'm hoping that my prediction of a few years down the line that it's a little more revered, I hope it doesn't take that long. Right. I hope that it, it continues to get out there and makes people make people talk because really, really good job. And I want to call myself out as I was saying, you need to go in with a certain je ne sais quoi. I don't have the fancy music. I should have played it because that was, that was the first time I caught my, and, and the words coming out of my mouth. I'm going, you are such just an ass. What are you talking well, about? Well, that also cues me up that I need to start getting the music to play in the background <laughs> so I can just pipe it in while you're talking. Exactly. Go see this movie, uh, whether you're a huge fan of cinema or not, because it is a ride. And I think it's, um, I think it's a great exercise in, 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 Kudos again. I like to throw shouts out to the production company, all the people that worked all those hours. Of course, um, Joaquin did an amazing job. So, um, yeah. So I guess that's from from both of us. That is a uh, go see. Yes. Oh yeah, I thought okay. you were going to hit a sounder. I saw you moving around the camera. That's a definite go see. You know, in fact, I would say don't wait for this one on home theater. If you can, if you can get out, go see it now. Cool. All right. Well, we're uh, that's an hour and four minutes. You've been hanging out with us at the Other Kind Radio. Uh, sorry for the delay. We uh, hopefully on Sunday we'll be back in our usual uh, regular, regularly scheduled programming. Um, big thank you to Todd. I know he had a super busy weekend. In fact, in fact, on the next episode, I want to hear a little bit more about a gig ending at five thirty and the next one starting at six, and how you drive from one side of Dallas to the other and make that gig happen. I want to get an update on that. Um, I don't have the text, but uh, Beaker's daughter's name I used his wife's name instead of his daughter's name so apologize to Beaker don't have the correction so once again my production skills and my ability to produce are front and center have a great week we'll see you <laughs> we'll see you on Sunday we are The Other Kind Radio The Other Kind Radio Radio The Other Kind Hi, my name is Luke, and you're listening to The Other Kind Radio.